From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Charity Nevy from Iowa Public Radio. This is America Amplified. The election is over. Joe Biden has been elected the next president of the United States. How are we all digesting this moment? I've been convinced since 1972 that our species had basically failed. And quite overwhelming. White people have to sit with not being comfortable. I'm with that 55%. And it's not because I chose the man. Trump appealed to me because he gave me the message that if you're an American, you're valued. It all just comes down to either blue or red. I'm sick and tired of the two-party system. We run the government. The government doesn't run us. I think Gen Z is definitely a generation that's going to make some changes. I hope about a new day and a better tomorrow. That's coming up after a short break. So stay with us. This is America Amplified, election 2020, your voice counts. This is America Amplified. From WABE down south in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Rose Scott. Each week, I've been teaming up with co-hosts from across the country to bring you a special national series around the 2020 election. And yeah, the election is over. We have a new president-elect, but we're not through it yet. There's still a lot to talk about. I know, news fatigue is real. You're tired, I'm tired. But look, right now, we're here to focus on you, on us, to process this moment in time together. I've gone so much of my life feeling helpless, and I still feel helpless because there wasn't much I could do. My voice doesn't count. I to continuously be tragically optimistic because if not, then, you know, like, what's the point? It's going to take some time to rebuild that trust. It all just comes down to either blue or red. For this to truly be we the people and not just some of the people. We don't get to be unkind to each other. You can't be important. Because you think differently like you're a bad person. I think you have to, like, really sit with that as an Conflict is a site of innovation. I think where healing starts is where we unpack the divide. That is where we come in. I'm Charity Nebbe from Iowa Public Radio. We've spent months taking the pulse of this country, and you've got our attention. So from Alaska to Tennessee, from Appalachia to the Mountain West, you've left us voicemail messages, and we've been listening. My name is Nathan Sharples. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. What I'm thinking about is, will there be an America in four years? How will I explain to my nephews, nieces, and young people how this country changed so much in four years? Thank you. God bless you. Hello, this is Wade Grayfox in Houston, Alaska. I've been convinced since 1972 that our species had basically failed. We had a pretty good run as a species, but we're going down the tubes right now. I'm just glad I'm 73 and won't have to watch too much more of it. Live long and prosper. My name is Ray Cribb, and I'm calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm really sick and tired of the two-party system. I wish it would go away forever. Democrats and Republicans are the reason we're at each other's throats. Hi, my name is Susan Grice. I'm calling from San Ramon, California. I believe that once you vote for a candidate, it becomes your responsibility to hold them accountable. Hello, this is Monica Maddox based out of Dallas, Texas. I am a commercial driver. I'm an NRA Republican, a moderate. I'd like to see more about bringing over disaffected one-ton Trump voters six months in after everyone has a hissy fit. 
Maybe we can all grow up and be adults again. Mary King, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I can't believe that we have to worry about violence just because we don't agree on the same candidates to vote for. Voting is our right and it's private. Why is this being so blown out of portion? Thank you. God bless America. That is America. This is America Amplified Election 2020. Your voice counts. Well, today, Charity and I are here with you from two states that have gotten a lot of attention this past week. Charity, my friend, what's the temperature like in Iowa? Well, Iowa now has the distinction of being a state that voted twice for President Barack Obama and has voted twice for President Donald Trump. Our elections went very smoothly here. We had a record turnout, and the majority of the votes were absentee ballot votes. And Iowa is now a very red state at the moment. We have a a Republican governor. We have a Republican House, a Republican state Senate. How are things? I know you're counting, Rose, but how are (laughs) things feeling in Georgia? Well, I think that depends on whom you ask, because some will say Georgia is turning blue. Others will say, well, no, this could just be a one-off because of the extraordinary moment of this election season. And as I was talking to an analyst the other day who said, you know, it may take a few more election cycles to determine whether or not Georgia is turning blue. So in the meantime, we'll call Georgia, I like to say, burple. Some people say purple. I think burple is much better. Uh, That's where we are, and that's where all the conversations are. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. And to start today's conversations, we want to make some sense of this moment in our nation for our democracy. And we thought, who better to do that than someone who taught us about democracy in the first place? Right, Charity? Absolutely. We've got a high school social studies teacher, this year's Teacher of the Year in Alaska from West Valley High School in Fairbanks, Amy Galloway. Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And Amy, you've been teaching for 22 years, so you have been through your share of election cycles. Has this year been different? So this year has been different in that we have had so much more engagement and interest in the presidential election, but that has um, transferred to all the down ticket races as well. Besides the really heightened interest, I'm sensing a lot more fear, trepidation, and anxiety in my students. Fear. Tell me more about what the, the students are saying about that. So we were talking about election results and students were talking about how toxic social media was. And they were talking about um, the lack of civility and the canceling. But then they were also, so we had students who were worried about, are they losing their friends? And then I have my students, my LGBT students, or my um, black and my indigenous and people of color students who were concerned, especially my LGBT students who are very concerned that the election results nationwide and in our state are going to result in the in a further erosion of their rights. Amy, this is Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to get some insight into the not only the racial makeup of your students, but also just in terms of diversity in general. Sure. So I live in Fairbanks, Alaska. We are predominantly white. 
approximately 20% of my school is Alaska Native. And then I have approximately, you know, maybe five to 8% of the students who are students of color. And then um, I run our school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance. And I would say in a school of 900, we have easy 100 students who are in the LGBT community. And Amy, when your students, when they engage in conversations where they may have a, a difference of opinion, how do you foster that conversation? Sure, we do a lot of work on civil discourse. Um, it is so broken down in our country. And so I remind my students that we don't need to argue less, that we need to argue better, and we need to argue more civilly. Um, so I think the first thing that is really important for students is to have confidence in their voice. And a lot of students don't, especially marginalized students. And so I think the most important thing to do is help a student understand their identity, regardless of who they are, is if they understand their identity, they have a better sense of how to articulate what they believe. Second, it's absolutely critical to have wonderful, like really strong media literacy and fact checking. Our discussions in class need to be based in fact and they need to be based in evidence. And finally, we really need to emphasize the idea of empathy. Talking about election results for some people might be fun and like talking about gambling results. And for other students, their lives and their rights are on the ballot. And so we have to have empathy for people who are, are struggling with things we don't. Amy, this is Charity Nubby from Iowa Public Radio again. And first, let me say that I wish that you were facilitating all conversations <laughs> about <laughs> politics in our country right now. It sounds like you're doing an incredible job with that. But in some ways, we are, are seeing the color, cover peeled off our democracy right now. We're watching those wheels in motion. How are your students responding to what they're seeing? Do they feel like our democracy is working? That's a really good question. And for students who are kind of novices to the system, it's really important to show them all the ways it does work. So we had a local election for school board in October in our, in our community. And we had a candidate forum and we pulled the school board members in and my students asked and wrote the questions and we cover local elections and we cover state elections. And so what students see is that our elections and our democratic republic, our democracy is more than the presidential election. You know, I think that it's up to me to remind them that our nation is a nation of institutions and those institutions aren't perfect. Those institutions may have been created out of white supremacy, but those institutions are strong and that our government is a government of institutions. Our presidency is not a person, it's an institution. And so when you look at it from institutions, you can see, well, we have work to do and what do we need to shift and what do we need to change? But this nation has been through the ringer more than once and we have come out strong. And so I remind them to look at that arc of history and see that in all honesty, it's marginalized people, the people on the margins who are constantly pushing for this to truly be we the people and not just some of the people. So um, I remind them to have hope and faith in our institutions. And finally, they know they are the future. 
I tell my students, they save the Republic and they're going to go out and they are doing it. Um, I have faith and my students have faith that they can, they can save our Republic. Amy, as, as we're looking at all of these incredibly narrow margins, I think that's a great reminder too, that our voices, our votes really matter. And I, I know it can be pretty stylish as a teenager to be kind of cynical and disaffected, but it sounds like you're really empowering your students. Do you think they feel like they matter and they can make a difference? I think some students who come from a place of privilege and have a lot of confidence maybe feel like they make more of a difference. Um, however, by providing them opportunities like candidate forums and um, getting the students as poll workers, they start to believe it. Additionally, these, these close margins are absolutely wonderful at the national level. When you show them that our elections aren't once every four years for president, we have elections every year for school board, mayor, borough assembly. Elections happen all the time. We run the government. The government doesn't run us. And so when I keep students engaged every year in local government, it helps them be more understanding and engaged then in the national government. Amy Galloway, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. Amy Galloway teaches high school social studies at West Valley High School in Fairbanks, Alaska. And we've been talking about the state of our democracy. In our show, we've been finding space to talk across our differences. And we've learned a lot of us are hungry for that. Coming up. White people have to sit with not being comfortable. Stay with us. This is America Amplified. Welcome back. I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. And I'm Charity Nebbe from Iowa Public Radio. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. In this hour, we're getting a better sense of how you, or how we rather, are digesting this moment. And as our conversation continues, we welcome Giselle Sanson Valero, who joins us from Des Moines, Iowa, also a graduate of Grandview University, and I'd like to say go Vikings and welcome, Giselle. Thank you. Yes, go Vikings. <laughs> also, Dr. Christopher Peters lives in Iowa City, where he runs his own clinic. He has dabbled in politics. He ran unsuccessfully for the U.S. House twice as a Republican. But these days, he's a registered independent. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Charity. It's nice to hear your voice again and nice to virtually meet you, Rose. Same here. And from Iowa, let's head south down here to Atlanta, Georgia, where we welcome Stephanie Cho, Executive Director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, Stephanie, let's start with you. It may be hard to answer this, but I'm going to ask you, how are you summing up this election year? Can you put it into words? It's a really wild year. Um, Our organization is chasing down calls and trying to figure out people's absentee ballot issues and provisional ballots, and at the same time trying to plan and, you know, for the runoffs. Things are changing and flipping, and it's really a testament to the team that we've built, um, the really wonderful young leaders that we're bringing up, mostly um, folks that are from immigrant-heavy areas, largely folks of color who really want to do this work. The change is coming. 
Chris, let's turn to you as we're going through this election week or election month, whatever you want to call it. How do you feel about how the election has gone? Well, from what I can see, it looks like the nuts and bolts part of it has gone well. You know, I don't, despite claims of, of fraud, I don't think we're actually seeing anything that's credible. Um, I think the states are doing, states and counties and local election officials are doing what they need to do. And um, uh, so I'm actually pleased from that point of view. Uh, from the point of view of what I hear, uh, you know, and everybody hears, for example, on social media, um, there's a lot of people that are, I think, either very anxious or um, don't understand the process and, and are angry. Uh, I think it's going to take some time to rebuild that trust in our, in our mm-hmm. systems and in our institutions. Giselle, how do you sum up this election season? And not just the election season, but this year with so much that's taken place in our nation. If I had to sum it up in one word, uh, I would just say anxiety. Um, There's a lot of feeling of uneasiness around, honestly, um, this entire presidency. For me, um, I'm a DACA recipient. My parents brought me to the United States Mm -hmm. um, when I was very young and I lived the majority of my childhood um, as an undocumented immigrant. So now I call myself documented because I do have DACA, but in the eyes of many, um, I'm undocumented or some people will call illegal. And so this president has not been nice at all to people like me um, from regular undocumented immigrants who have you know, no permits, no work, um, licenses, nothing like that. I'm, I recognize that I'm very privileged in the fact that I am able to step out from the shadows, whereas still there's 11 million undocumented immigrants who aren't able to. Um, so this year, specifically during this election, I've been trying to use my voice as much as possible for the people that are hiding and still don't feel comfortable. Here we are in the state of Iowa. And as I mentioned earlier, Iowa's now voted for President Donald Trump twice. You find yourself surrounded by people who have voted for Donald Trump. Do you have people who are your friends and and people that you interact with on a regular basis who that's become a very uncomfortable thing for for them to talk about with you? Um, Absolutely. I've grown up my entire life feeding into and believing this concept of Iowa nice. But what it really is, is people hiding their racism under soft smiles and nods and waves. Um, And so during this presidency, people have been emboldened to uh, just state their beliefs and to put it on a sign on their front yard. And I actually, I, I am very happy that this has happened because it steers me clear from people who have looked me in my face for the last, you know, 23 years of my life um, and pretended to love me and care about my safety and well-being while continuing to vote somebody in office who goes against everything I stand for. When we talk about democracy in this nation and what it means to each of us individually, that, that definition varies. How are you able to maneuver yourself in a conversation where someone, quite frankly, might be totally against you even be considered a citizen of this country? I find it hard to not get emotional when it comes to having those conversations, specifically because I've lived through it. And so when sharing my story um, and explaining, you know, what my parents fled, the reasons that they had to um, get here in the way that they did, the way that our immigration system is broken, I get a lot of blank stares. And so it's a lot of educating, which leads to me 
becoming aggravated because I, as much as I don't want it to be my job to educate the people around me, mm-hmm. if I don't, who will? And so when I'm taking the time to educate somebody and they still to my face very boldly and proudly to tell me that I'm one of the good ones and the other 11 million that are like me don't deserve the same opportunities mm. that I should get. It really stirs a fire in me. Chris, you heard what Giselle said about talking, maneuvering through conversations where there is a varied opinions and differences. What's your approach to something like that? My approach is always just to try and start a foundation of a relationship with whoever I'm talking uh, with. If I go in trying to change their mind or they go in trying to change mine, that never ends well. Uh, There's a great little quote from Abraham Lincoln I like that he said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. And I think that's really where it starts. And let me uh, just turn to Stephanie now, because, uh, you know, Chris, as you were saying, I think that's easier to do from a position of power. Stephanie, uh, that can be a a little bit harder when you are not part of the the so-called majority in this country. I'm a queer single mom that lives in Georgia, (laughs) and I'm Korean. I'm also you know, a leader of an organization that's very out there and outspoken as well. So it is my duty to do that and to educate. But at the same time, there are times when it's very difficult to do that. I had a legislator one time, I was trying to talk to him across the aisle, and he literally said to me, I can just see by the way you look, we're going to disagree. Hmm. So I have had those experiences where I'm actually trying to reach out to somebody because I'm trying to get them to understand at least a different point of view. And I've been shut down in these different ways. And so I think it goes both ways. And so um, when we're talking about the issues of immigration now, of healthcare, of the environment, somehow those have become Democrat issues or politicized issues in this way. It's just about like, if you're this, then I'm against this, right? And it doesn't really, it doesn't move things along. But, you know, I'm in the South too, like, Uh, the good and the bad of that is people tell you to your face how racist they are. Um, So it's, it's not a question, you know, it's not the polite smile on your face, you know, kind of, and then talk behind your back, you know, where you stand with people quicker. But I think sometimes um, it feels like the burden has to be on the person that is in the more oppressed situation to educate the person that's not. And I think it really needs to come from another way because the reaching out has to actually be more mutual or otherwise there's no reason of, of having that conversation. If you leave that up to one individual or one community of people, doesn't that get exhausting? Communities, conversation, compromise. If you're just joining us, this is America Amplified Election 2020. I want to bring somebody else into the conversation now. Connie Vasquez lives in San Alizario, Texas, a small town right on the border. She is retired Connie, are you there? I am here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And and Connie, President Trump earned your vote in this election. You are part of a, a demographic that the nation has been talking about as a Latina living close to the border who is a Trump supporter. How are how are you feeling about the election? Well, of course I'm disappointed, but oh no, I think it was a wonderful experience and I think that the country is divided, but it also gives us the opportunity to see what other Hispanics are thinking about. Because uh, 
we are not just one kind of person. There's a diversity of people. For example, um, we have Cubans and Nicaraguans. They're coming here to avoid having uh, governments that were very uh, nasty to them. And they're very grateful to be here. And I think a lot of those are supporting Trump. Well, I think I think that has definitely been been borne out in what we are seeing uh, with election returns around the country um, to help people understand a, a little bit about why you feel the way you do. I mean, there are people who are surprised that that someone like you would have been voting for, for President Trump. Well, my family came to this country many, many generations ago, and we consider ourselves American, but we never left the roots. I speak Spanish, and I am very proud, but I'm an American. Many times, even even myself here in my community, people think, well, you're Hispanic, so you've got to be a Democrat. And it's like, no, I'm not. You know, but the reasons why could vary. Because for me, for example, I really value being a, a patriot, being an American. I'm an American first. Then I'm something else. You know, I could be a Catholic, I could be uh, whatever, you know, but being an American is the, is the most important thing. Trump appealed to me because he gave me the message that if you're an American, you're valued. When I became a Republican, you know, I had to go through Obama and I had to go through Hillary. And then, you know, we got Trump elected. One of the things that, that really hurt him with the Mexican community was the fact that he called Mexican rapists and whatever. He didn't say that everybody was rapists. He just said that some people that came here were rapists. But, you know, they took it as a very big offense. And he never apologized. Never. And I think that's what hurt him a lot. Well, there, there's lots of talk about the Republican Party and, and what it is now that uh, it, it has been the party of Trump. How do you feel about the future of the Republican Party, Chris? Do you think that there there is an identity there to rebuild? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting process. I think both parties are, and our political system writ large, are due for a, a significant realignment. Um, you know, there's a couple of things I would point out that I think that Trump did that I am happy to see in, in the dialogue. One is, uh, it seems like this permanent saber-rattling wartime footing of the Republicans has largely gone away. And I think Trump has correctly pointed out that China is a significant economic threat. Now, I disagree with his methods in, in as far as uh, tariffs, but I think that is a threat we need to be addressing more seriously. Chris, you uh, used to identify as a Republican. You ran for office as a Republican a couple of times, and you seem a little bit uncomfortable with that label right now. Why is that? Well, I, I think I've always considered myself more of an independent, but of course, if you're going to run for office in our current system, you kind of have to pick a pick a flag to, to rally under. And um, the Republican flag was a little more consistent with my kind of libertarian ideology, but it doesn't fit me perfectly. And so I'm actually kind of happy to be back uh, registered independent. I split my ticket uh, this time. I think sometimes a little gridlock is good in DC. There's things in the Republican Party I like. There's things in the Democratic Party I like. I don't fit really well in either category. 
I want to talk about uh, how we're feeling about democracy uh, in this country. I mean, that was one of the things that leading up to this election, a lot of people were saying, you know, our democracy is at stake. Uh, at this moment, Stephanie, how are you feeling uh, about our democracy? We've been seeing it in action all week long. I know that the poll workers, the poll managers, the individual counties are working tremendously hard to have an accurate count. So I'm very happy with that. Um, I think there is mistrust of the count, even by the people that are doing the count, which is bizarre to me because you can't have it both ways. Right. You either trust the count and believe in the count because you're administering the count or you're saying that the count is rigged and you don't trust the count. I don't know if you know Dr. Carol Anderson. She wrote a wonderful book called um, One, One Person, No Vote. Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about the history, right, of voter suppression in the South and why it looks like this. And it's even talking about who could vote, who was considered, you know, that question of citizenship. And then the lengths to which people would go for voter suppression here. So we have that history here. It comes in different forms here now and targets, particularly immigrant communities regarding language access. In DeKalb, we got them to agree to have materials in Korean and materials mm -hmm. in Spanish for the first time. When we tell people in other states that somehow voting here is a primarily English only activity, they find that to be like outrageous. Well, we have we have the same situation in Iowa as well, although, uh, again, some progress has been made on that this year. But we have an English only law in the state. So, uh, Giselle, I want to ask you the same question I asked Stephanie. Now, here you are. You have so much at stake in this election and you're unable to vote. But you are obviously a close observer of democracy. How are you feeling about our democracy? Does it feel like it's working to you? Yeah, um, talking about voting is always difficult for me because I've always had this feeling of I want to encourage everybody to go out and vote. If you choose not to do that before, I don't know, I'd say maybe four years ago, um, that, that was your opinion. You were entitled to do that. But this year, um, in the last few months, I've definitely been making the push to get any of the Latinos in my community that are eligible to go out and vote. Uh, my younger brother is actually a citizen. And so getting him to go vote was like pulling teeth out for him. Like he didn't want to go get registered. He didn't want to do anything. And so I felt a little helpless. Like, is anybody mm -hmm. listening to the things I'm saying and the things we're asking and advocating for? Um, but I mean, woke up to a very nice surprise when I saw that he did in fact go get his ballot in and got his I voted sticker. I've gone so, so much of my life feeling helpless and I still feel helpless because there wasn't much I could do. My voice was heard by the people around me, but it doesn't count. And so this is yet again, another example of where I'm here, but I'm not, I, I live in Iowa, but I'm not seen as a citizen or a resident. I'm just another number. Hmm. Chris, we've just got about a few minutes before we go to break, but I'm curious, as someone who has dabbled in politics, did you get a little different insight as a candidate as opposed to when you were just a regular citizen? The thing I gained the most respect for in this was learning that having diverse opinions, uh, not just within a party, but between the parties, is really important because that's how we 
divine solutions to problems. And that's a big part of the problem we have with our polarization now is we are not having the discourse we need to find solutions to problems that we need to address. And some of these are really big, big problems that are really going to require collective action through the mechanisms of government. And so I think our, our democracy uh, is in, in peril right now unless we can learn to talk again across the aisles. Uh, learn to talk, more importantly, learn to listen. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today, Chris Peters of Iowa City. We also heard from Giselle Sanson Valero from Des Moines, Iowa, and Connie Vasquez from Texas, also from Atlanta, Stephanie Cho. We're taking the pulse of this country right now. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts. You can tweet us at Amplified 2020. Coming up. I greatly respect you, but I'm with that 55%. But it's not because I chose the man. I didn't choose Trump. I don't like the man. We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back. I'm Charity Nebbe from Iowa Public Radio. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. This is America Amplified, Election 2020, Your Voice Counts. And today, we've been asking, how are you feeling about democracy in our nation? What does it mean to be American right now? Rose, when did you first become engaged with politics? How old were you? I was six years old. No, I'm just kidding. But actually, you know, it's very interesting. I'll tell you, not so much as politics, but about how our nation uh, came to be. And I remember... When Roots, the miniseries, I'm old enough mm-hmm. to remember when that aired on ABC for a whole week. And I remember having questions uh, to my parents, uh, my father and my mother, ab- about slavery. And at that age, I was starting to think about how our nation was founded. And as I got older, and I remember I started thinking about messaging in in political ads. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember and writing about the Willie Horton ad of 1988 that uh, Bush used. And how, you know, divisive and how just nasty that that in my mind that ad was and how they were using that to get a message to the base. You know, when you're little and you start to have questions that that revolve around race and and why are things the way they are. And then as you get older and you see messages, you know, that are centered around that, it helps shape who we are as, as individuals and also maybe even the career paths that we've chosen. Right. Yeah, and I think I was really drawn um, to sort of the game of politics. I had an awesome eighth grade social studies teacher who really introduced us to civics, and I started watching debates uh, that year in 88. And then by the time 1992 came around, I couldn't vote. I wasn't old enough to vote, but I was in high school, and I was really caught up in the excitement Mm -hmm. of it. I, I thought maybe I wanted to go into politics, but I was excited and I made it my goal <laughs> to talk other high school students who could vo- vote but were ambivalent about it. I was going to convert them to my candidate. <laughs> and I think I got three. So it was pretty good. Well, you know, we were considered the future right back then. Now we owe charity. But, you know, <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've been thinking a lot about the future of this country Time will move on, and we do want to think about what's next. So we have invited some future voters to share their feelings with us. Grace Lundquist is here. She goes to Washington High School in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Hello, Grace. Hi there. Thanks so much for being here. 
Yes, and here in Atlanta, Shanti Rodriguez-Pedraza, a student at Druid Hills High School. Thank you for having me. And from Arizona, we welcome Tyloria Antone, who attends Barbecue Varee High School. Hello, Tyloria. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Let's go around the virtual room here, because um, how would each of you describe this year? Now, I know it's been a lot. Shanti, I'll start with you. Can you sum up this through your lens, what this year has been like? Um, The whole year overall, I think, has been pretty nerve-wracking and filled with anxiety, but at the same time progressive, and it's given us some hope for the future. Grace, what about you? Um, I would say, for me personally, it's been quite overwhelming. I mean, we're going into election year 2020, then we get hit with a pandemic, which puts all of us out of school. Um, We're just kind of like stuck sitting in one place. Um, And then, of course, we got hit with that derecho, an inland hurricane. It It was a bit crazy. Our entire school got taken down. We didn't have power for weeks. And amidst all of this, um, the election going on, all of the new movements happening, I do feel like our generation has been a little bit overlooked because we are growing up in this, and this is going to shape our political views for the future. Tyloria, let's uh, let's talk about you. Well, um, now that we aren't in school, you know, it's been a lot of uncertainties that are going on today, and We all just have to, you know, one way or another, just go with the flow type of say, because we may never know what can happen tomorrow. I know a lot of people have anxiety and they're stressing over it, but, you know, we should all have hope during this time, you know, no matter what happens. Me and my friend were just talking about how, you know, we were kind of stressed out about who it was, who was going to win the election and different stuff like that. But we both said, you know, but in the end, we're all going to have hope about a new day and a better tomorrow. Grace, let me ask you again, you know, with with so many other things going on, do you feel like uh, you've been able to interact with other students in your social circle and and talk a little bit of politics? Are are people interested? Um, You know, I'd say, unfortunately, a lot of my class and a lot of my peers they just kind of follow what the media says and what their parents say and that's the tough part about being a kid is you have to kind of follow the leader otherwise you're frowned upon and um maybe your parents will think oh what did i what did i do wrong here but um having like an open discussion between groups of people that you trust and know value what what you believe in your opinions. Um, I've, I've definitely been through it a little bit and it's eye-opening and enlightening for me. Well, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. It sounds like you've got some personal experience there. Yeah, definitely. I, I grew up in, growing up, <laughs> excuse me, I'm growing up in a very conservative Republican household And as you get older, you begin to develop your own personal beliefs and what you think is right and wrong. And, you know, having to have these types of discussions with your parents, especially at a crucial point in history like we are in now, it's it's been difficult for me um, having my parents tell me what I think is wrong and 
it doesn't leave a lot of room for open discussion and open discourse between the people that you love and care about. Shanti, do you feel comfortable sharing if you could have had a vote this year, who you would have voted for as president and why? Oh, um, yeah, definitely. I would have voted for Biden. I just feel like, first of all, Trump just has such of a lack of experience. Like he was a TV show host and then he ran for president and I don't know how he won. So what does it say to you, though? Because he was elected. The people spoke. Yeah, they did. I mean, I would be open to hearing about why they think is a good president. Me personally, I guess I'm just like disappointed that he got elected in the first place. This is Charity with Iowa Public Radio. And, and Tyloria, who would you have voted for if you could and, and why? For me, I would feel comfortable voting for Biden. Honestly, only because I'm, I am a person of color and President Trump, where I live, I live on the Thanatham Nation and he is trying to build a wall on our sacred lands. And I just think it's disrespectful to our land and our people. He is bulldozing sacred sites, which our people were buried upon. You know, we fought so much and we are still fighting and advocating for these certain things to get done. But he won't listen. He won't listen to our point of view and our side, what we think as a people. Grace, let's bring you back into this conversation. If you had a choice, if you could have voted this election, who and why? Alrighty, so I would definitely put myself as more centralist. I, I feel like if I was 18, I would have such a difficult time. I can see Biden as a good president socially. On the flip side, Donald Trump, I feel like economically he has some pluses. Um, socially, he's very controversial. And I don't think that's who we need to be having to represent our country right now, especially in the midst of, you know, a historical breakdown, um, mm-hmm. you know, fighting for these same rights that have been taken from us and taken from people of color, LGBT. I can't see myself supporting a man like that. Yeah, and we are going through a a big historical moment right now. And I hope all three of you recognize that this is a a really interesting election. It's one that will be remembered and will be written about and will be taught about in the future. Why don't we turn to you, Shanti, when you think about this moment, how do you think about it? Whatever young people I talk to when I'm older, I hope I can recall and tell them about what it was like um, to be living through this because obviously it's going to be in textbooks and in history classes because it's a very important election and year. I just hope I can tell my kids or the younger generation in the future like what side of history I was on, I guess. I think Gen Z is definitely a generation that's going to make some changes, not only the people that are going to get elected to government, but also just as young people when we start voting. I feel like we're a definitely very political generation. And with the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement, I think that's also very important to us because after the whole civil rights era and all that, I feel like a lot of people, mainly white people and people with of privilege and with privilege kind of decided like, okay, like that's over, segregation is over, racism ended, like there's none left. But obviously that's not the case. And so our generation is definitely one that's seeking to change that. Tyloria, let's uh, let's turn to you. I feel like our generation will be the people to change 
different things and make it into um, a better better life for each and every one of us. I, I already see on my nation there are a lot of young people who are making changes, who are putting themselves in different um, states of mind. And Grace will end up with you. We have a lot going on for us right now. A lot of a lot of chances to make real change. I don't think people understand the gravity of climate change and how important this is for us to, you know, keep moving as a as a generation and create a a, a world that is sustainable and that we will be able to live in for hundreds of years. I think it's the most important thing. I do want to say I'm a parent of Gen Zers and I interact with Gen Zers a lot. And I'm so impressed with your generation. Thank you so much for bringing some grace and energy to our show today as well. Grace Lundquist, thanks for being here. Thank you. I've, I've loved it. I also want to thank from here in Atlanta, Shanti Rodriguez-Pedraza. Thank you so much for having me. And from Arizona, Tyloria Antone, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking for weeks about how divided we are as a nation. The votes show that pretty clearly. How do we get through this? Of course, we don't have a clear answer for that, but we do know that we need to talk across our differences. That's a start for getting through it, something that a lot of us don't do very much. You know, we met two women in a listening session a few months back. Jamie Beasley is a 26-year-old black woman here in Atlanta, Georgia, getting her Ph.D. in political science. Meadow Caulfield is white. She's 37, single mom, and ecologist living in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. They don't agree on everything, especially when it comes to politics. But when they met a few months ago, the experience was pretty powerful for both of them. Just hearing from someone in a distant community in a year when bridging those divides is harder than ever because of the pandemic. So we checked in with them post-election day. So Meadow, how are you um, coping with this moment right now? You know, um, I've been avoiding the radio and trying not to look at social media. And honestly, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I'm exhausted. And how about you? How are you doing with it? Um, I would say uh, very similar. Okay, so the night of the election, I did not sleep like well. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna you know, put my phone down and like try it. But I was up like every 45 minutes, like don't check your phone, right? So it was a lot of anxiety. Um, I am amazed, actually, um, that the races are so close. It's very eye-opening. It confirms a lot of suspicions that I've had this whole time. I am looking at the breakdown, particularly white women in this moment. White women have voted 55% for Trump. Well, I'm going to say, and we've had a conversation before prior to today, and I greatly respect you, but I'm at that 55%. And it's not because I chose the man. I didn't choose Trump. I don't like the man. I do not appreciate a lot of things about him, nor do I appreciate a lot of things about Biden. Both of them make my skin crawl, honestly. Um, I grew up in a family. My father, if you remember, is an immigrant to the U.S. And uh, we were very poor. We didn't have electricity or running water. My history, my cultural history, my own personal experience in life has driven me towards being more conservative when it comes to finances. It hurts a little bit to be lumped with a group of people that are um, pro-misogynistic or um, 
pro-racist, but I have my own reasons. And so um, those are the things that I had to be honest with myself about. I think that we could agree on like having differences of political views. What I cannot stand on though, is that your political difference makes other people inhumane. But I have no option because it's either left or right. If there was one candidate that was more centric, I guarantee there would have been a landslide. So I I will say this, Donald Trump and the Republican Party have proven over and over within the last seven or eight months that human life, period, is not important to him at all. Because if it was, 300,000 Americans would not be dead from a virus. We could fundamentally start there. But further, his rhetoric greenlights violence onto certain populations. That, that is in direct opposition to me because the, his rhetoric is targeting people that look like me. I have to uh, continuously be tragically optimistic because if not, then, you know, like, what's the point? Fundamentally, as a nation, we have to agree that minority populations are human. We have to start there. Yeah, I don't agree with Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump as a person. I think he's disgusting, too. But what I want to move past, though, is that Donald Trump is, like, not the issue. This was a manifestation that has been happening over time. This is the ugly underbelly of the United States that we don't like to talk about very often. The United States is heavily racial. And until we even confront that issue and be honest with it, it's going to keep coming up every generation. White people have to sit with not being comfortable. I, I really appreciate this honesty, Meadow. I don't think you understand how appreciative I am of having this conversation. The fact that you were extremely honest, though, is, is I think, a step forward, right? It's like in, in Alcohol Anonymous, you got to admit that you have a problem. You have to admit that we have to be forward. We have to be honest with why we are making these decisions, right? Because if we're not honest, then we're just going to stay with these goggles on and we're not going to open up. So I really appreciate this. I think it's beautiful. You know, Jamie, I've reflected a lot on our conversation from before, and I um, really appreciate the opportunity I was provided. We're both Americans, but we have these different cultures. And it makes it very difficult to understand and to even relate when you don't have an honest conversation or any sort of relations with somebody that you wouldn't normally. And I hope for the same that I've made my perspective maybe a little more human. I think that we have to get out of like this narrative that because you think differently, like you're a bad person. I think we have to like really sit with that as a nation because that's been brewing for some time. That came to us from our director, Andrea Tudhope. We want to thank all who joined us this hour for America Amplified Election 2020. Our producers are Caitlin Harrop, Grace Walker, and Maya Ina. Our senior producer and director is Andrea Tudhope. Our executive directors are Alyssa Barber and Donna Vesto. Kathy Liu is our digital editor. Our community engagement gurus are Matthew Long Middleton, Ann Alquist, and Jennifer Tufts. Special thanks to KCUR in Kansas City, WABE in Atlanta, Alaska Public Media, and Native Voice One, a Native American radio network. America Amplified is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm Charity Nebbe from Iowa Public Radio. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. 